Ashley. Hey, Maddie. We're back, not in the same room, but on the same record. We managed to schedule a little sesh. Uh, so here we are at our Shake It Like a Polaroid picture episode. Do you know what I realised after we'd already committed to that title? What? Should have called it I Drink Your Milkshake. <laughs> it's too late now. It's too like, late now. All the boys in the yard? No, I drink your milkshake from There Will Be Blood. Oh my god. You really don't have your finger on the pulse, do you? Not that that, I mean, that movie is like maybe nearly 15 years old or something now. But anyway. Maybe my reference isn't up to date. Uh, no comment. Um, but anyway. Um, well, it's slightly more up to date than a reference to Hey Ya, but nevertheless. <laughs> Both good point. <laughs> stone cold classics. Yeah, do you think we've just kind of aged ourselves or, or made I it obvious? Everybody <laughs> knows that we're old. <laughs> uh, it's fine. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, as usual, um, this was recorded quite a long time ago, but keen-eared listeners may actually be able to pinpoint the exact date that we recorded from a couple of context clues yeah so if you do manage to pinpoint the exact date that we were recording (laughs) there's a fun challenge for someone (laughs) listen you should email the most scale at gmail.com and let us know that you figured it out and um we'll or, or you could get in touch with us at the most scale on either twitter or instagram yes you could do that too and the mm. first person to figure it out is going to win a prize really i'll i'll think of something that they can win <laughs> I can design them a logo on Canva. <laughs> or <I> can... <laughs> That's priceless. <laughs> or I can write them a little... Oh, you know what? We still don't have a consensus on the theme tune. Um, oh, whether we're yeah. doing the, the short version. You mean nobody's, nobody's giving not... feedback? <laughs> well, let's just say that we don't have a consensus. <laughs> and obviously we're not saying which of us is on which side because we don't want to bias everybody because we all know that i'm everybody's favorite and they would all side with me Um, yeah but i might get the sympathy vote because i always lose oh that's true yeah Yeah. everybody loves an underdog but either way we're not saying who's on which side but maybe the prize could be if you can figure out (laughs) the exact date that we recorded this episode you get to pick which version of the wow what a prize we use (laughs) get in there everyone (laughs) (laughs) quick before you miss the opportunity Because we don't have consensus yet, but who knows? It could happen any day now. Uh, so so don't hesitate. Anyway, I think that's all we really need to say in this intro. Um, enjoy the show, as always. Uh, get in touch with us if you like. Uh, forgive us our trespasses and anything that's out of date. Um, and, uh, and tune in next time for a nutritious discussion on eating insects. Yeah, but that's the outro. We do that in the outro. <laughs> We're still in the intro. The no, we're Are still we? doing the intro. <laughs> but we already referenced like the the email address and stuff. Well, we can do that again. <laughs> okay, okay, enjoy the episode. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so, in this episode, we're going to be talking about meal replacements so food pills we're talking fuel we're talking soylent we're talking what else is there ashley um seem to be a lot of weight loss type products like slim fast if you remember those adverts but it's, it's, it seems to be have quite a broad range that's kind of covered under meal replacement which certainly in terms of the scientific literature there doesn't seem to be a particularly set definition but it can include anything from like you just said shakes powders um, pre-packaged foods frozen bits and bobs it, it, it seems quite broad-ranging oh that's really interesting because i would never have put slim fast in the same category as huel because 
to me, as far as I understand it, Huel is nutritionally complete, right? Whereas SlimFast is, I don't even know what's in SlimFast, but I'm pretty sure that if it was all you drank, then you would get seriously ill, right? That would be my assumption too, and I don't know what's exactly in SlimFast. From what I can gather, the majority of meal replacements tend to be targeted at weight loss and are therefore nutritionally complete except for lower calorie and therefore creating a calorific deficit which thereby leads to weight loss ah interesting so have you ever used any of these uh, of these things Ash? Um, not in what i would deem to be meal replacements i suppose when climbing and things like that you you get a lot of sort of protein bars and stuff that's i suppose more to enhance um, performance and that kind of thing or if you're going out on long bike rides yeah. but I'm not sure they come quite under meal replacements so so I'll go with no yeah see this is interesting <laughs> this is interesting right because okay where would you put a trek yeah. bar for example you know is that a meal replacement or is that like a high calorie supplement or you know what yeah. is it uh, see I'm, I'm assuming they're not nutritionally complete and are therefore not a meal replacement and like you say they're more a supplement to mm. for extreme circumstances or should be used for extreme circumstances and if you do end up using them as a snack that's probably not a good idea because they are so calorifically dense <laughs> well I used to I used to have them as a snack oh, but um what's I'm the thing? I'm a Kendall mint cake, the thing that everyone always talks about, yes. but, which I've never had, and I've, I think don't that's tell basically anyone. pure sugar. That is basically pure yeah, sugar. But as soon as you go to the Lake um, District, but it's, it's like very Kendall popular. Mint cake. <laughs> I've had so, it. it like? I mean, it's is it just like peppermint. Well, it's just yeah, it's just like super minty. It's like very very dense, sugary, minty. It's like a mint imperial. Mm. Um, but in a bar, uh, basically, Giant mint it's just imperial. like it's. A, yeah, no, it is a lot like that. Honestly, it's it's super duper sugary. So yeah, so interestingly enough, I have actually done the Huel thing, um, and it wasn't for weight loss in my case. It was basically, and I think this is something that we should mm. talk about. Basically, the reason that I was using Huel was because I was in jobs where either they would like not give us a break or they would exploit loopholes to not give us a full mm. break. Um, so it was really, and because when my blood sugar crashes, um, I get very, very lightheaded very mm. quickly. I found it a real mm. issue. So I basically had to take this stuff in so that I had it as kind of a fallback in case I didn't get a chance to eat lunch. Yeah. Um, so for example, when I was working in care, like we wouldn't be given full breaks and the breaks that we were given weren't necessarily in the middle of the day. It was kind of, you didn't know going in when you were going to get your break. It might be like at 11 a.m., it might be at 2 p.m. If I ate my lunch too early, I would like, my blood sugar would crash by the end of the day. If I had my break too late, then my blood sugar would already have crashed at that point. So basically like I had to have something with me that would keep my blood sugar at like a level where I wouldn't get super lightheaded. So even though I don't have an issue with these things in and of themselves, like Huel was really helpful to me and I think that they do work hard to make it properly nutritious and sustainable and all of this stuff you know I think that the the need for it and I think some of these things are marketed for people who you know don't have time mm. to cook or you know they're working all the time blah 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 so I think it kind of the need for these things speaks to maybe like a poor work-life balance I, I, I think or it's really interesting people well, being exploited because for and for similar reasons, I some of the kind of case studies I just read, the the main ones were people looking to well, I suppose you weren't looking to avoid lunch, but it was people looking to avoid lunch because they just found it tedious and just an irritation in mm. the middle of their day. Or interestingly, a lot of people in IT and the tech industries seem to be more <laughs> definitely more, more open to using them. Um, but it, it's, it's yeah, very... and I think that they are sorry, often marketed at the <laughs> sorry the kind of uh, marketed at like the Silicon Valley yeah, guy, I and I think yeah, like the weight loss ones obviously are more marketed at mm. women, but then the ones where it's like optimize your yes. day so you don't have to <laughs> yeah exactly it's like optimization yeah. and that is definitely marketed at a particular type of dude mm. right. Um, so it's interesting how that's kind of gendered depending on what the intent is behind I find it. I as well interesting people, um, 
almost looking looking to avoid lunch because it's a nuisance and or or whatever meal they're replacing it with because it's something i just don't associate with like i I read someone saying i find it boring having to decide what to eat and therefore i use these Hmm. i love thinking about food and planning food like yeah a good portion of what i think about each day but i i enjoy it it's a joy Yeah. yeah absolutely and i think it kind of speaks to what we were talking about a little bit I think we touched on this in the last episode, which is that um, maybe as a society, we've become increasingly alienated from food Mm -hmm. and, you know, we're not in touch with where it comes from and we don't. Yeah, I mean, I I think partly it probably just depends on what kind of person you are Mm -hmm. as well, because I think there have always been some people who have been the of the kind of food is just fuel mentality like my mum's like that you know she doesn't care what she eats yeah she's just like food is fuel whatever I don't care you know she she's very much not interested in the kind of sensual enjoyment Mm -hmm. of food I guess in the way that I would be Uh, so I think you know and there are cultural factors that go into that like my mum's side of the family is Irish and maybe there's something there Um, (laughs) not that Irish people can't (laughs) enjoy food um, (laughs) but I'm just saying you know I think maybe yeah I'm just saying maybe there's a kind of cultural thing going on I think as well the cultural Um, aspect and kind of in what I've been reading about the meal replacements one of the challenges they come against is the kind of psychological aspect and the kind of cultural connotations and social aspects as well as the kind of hedonistic or epicurean aspects of food that Mm. that that's kind of where they fall short but it's it's interesting thinking about how food is does have its social meanings and like in many cultures all the preparation and the aromas there's so many things that you associate with certain cuisines and certain ways of being just based on their food it's such a core part of our our cultures yeah and we use food metaphors so often to to mean social things like breaking bread with people making a place at the table for people so many of our festivals revolve around food and I wonder as well if this kind of alienation from food also speaks to this kind of social alienation that's increasingly on the rise in urban spaces, particularly, I think, with, like, young professionals, mm. where you don't necessarily have that same um, social support network that maybe you would take for granted in the past when people were more likely to settle into nuclear family mm. groups. And I'm not necessarily saying that that's better, but I'm just saying that, you know, I guess maybe it does speak to this growing sense of isolation and alienation that we're seeing particularly in cities Mm. do you think the rise of street food is a sort of way to counteract that a little bit because i feel that's a fairly novel well not novel but i I feel that street food is becoming more trendy and more prevalent like you i'm sure there's whole street food festivals and all sorts now which i don't think was a thing like 10 years ago unless i was just oblivious Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, I would say I don't think that that is necessarily new per se. Or maybe I more think it's commercialization maybe... of street food. I guess street food has always been well, around. I, well, I was going to say I think maybe it's newer in yeah. Western culture. Like, I think it's you know in kind of Middle Eastern culture and African culture, it's been a thing for a really long time, mm. and Asian culture and so on. Uh, maybe in hotter places as well, where you're more that likely to sense. eat outside. Yeah. So I don't, yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I guess as temperatures increase, maybe that's something that's making us more likely to want to eat outside. I don't Mm. know. I mean, maybe that's a stretch, (laughs) but it did just occur to me that like, you know, with global warming or rather climate change, you know, maybe hotter summers are driving us outside more. Mm. I don't know. Interesting. This is all speculation, obviously. But speaking of that kind of epicurean and sensual enjoyment of food, when we were kind of discussing this episode, we were talking about, uh, well, you in particular, I think, were talking about how these meal replacements are kind of at odds with this this real kind of uh, centuries-old mm. or millennia-old enjoyment of food that people have had and the kind of religious mm aspects of that as well that like a lot of religions i guess have again these food metaphors i think you were talking in particular about the forbidden fruit yeah. I, I was yeah in, in just kind of reading around this subject just coming back to almost the what i feel is the opposite of meal replacements which are 
I mean, I suppose I think of meal replacements as being very much for the body, not for the mind, the soul, or the brain. It's 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 well, mm. like you say, it's just fuel. <laughs> and yeah, but when you see it in kind of history and in literature, which is definitely more your thing, so I won't go too deep into this. But <laughs> you have things like the forbidden fruit, and in what was it, Dante's Inferno, and it's you talk about the hedonistic side, that kind of real, real guttural desire of food and the enjoyment and pleasure and yeah. it, it has a lot of connections in the kind of opposite sense definitely and you know i'm just thinking about how many religions have some kind of fasting period mm, yeah. you know particularly in the kind of abrahamic tradition obviously you have ramadan mm. you have uh, lent and Oh, off the top of my head, um, I can't remember uh, what the fasting thing is in the Jewish tradition, which is really embarrassing. I'm sure it will come back to me, but there's definitely some kind of uh, fasting tradition. Hey, you can just do a, future, as a well. future thing and come back in and put that in. <laughs> yeah, I can pop in with an edit when I remember. Hey, it's Panicky here, as promised, to tell you about the Jewish first days. So, according to a post on exploringjudaism.org, and I quote, There are three different kinds of firsts within Jewish, spiritual, and legal tradition. Statutory public firsts, occasional public firsts, i.e. those decreed on an ad hoc basis, and private firsts undertaken by individuals for their own private reasons. The second and third of these kinds of firsts are rare today, but many statutory public firsts are well known and widely observed. The best known in this category, of course, is Yom Kippur, the sole statutory first decreed by the Torah itself. The other statutory firsts are the firsts of Gedalia, the 10th of Tevet, the 1st of Esther, the 17th of Tammuz, and the 9th of Av. End quote. And apologies for any mispronunciations there. And that post is adapted with permission from the observant life, and it's attributed to Rabbi Alan Lucas. A shinem dank. And, you know, I think that maybe that has to do with the fact that, you know, when these religions were emerging, food insecurity was much more prevalent. I mean, it's, it's still very prevalent, as we spoke about in the last episode, of course, but... I guess even in the cultures that maybe had a little bit more affluence, mm. there was still always this kind of anxiety about where, you know, a, a drought could just completely um, screw mm. you, yeah. basically. Even if you were generally pretty rich, you know, um, you, you were still subject to droughts and famines in a way that I think, you know, in this country and in the West generally that hasn't really been something that we've had to deal with for certainly for decades mm. now. Um, I suppose in the UK, we did have rationing, mm. um, which I, I think, you know, definitely had a real impact on people, but obviously that's pretty much our grandparents' I guess we're not counting now, the, so that is the rationing of eggs while. and flour from last year. Because, <laughs> hey, I couldn't get flour well, anywhere. <laughs> That's true. I couldn't get yeast. Uh, hence, hence all the oh, sourdough. Oh, I gave up on but, sourdough, um, by the way. I got so frustrated. Yeah, I don't blame it. you. I don't blame you. But it's still um, sat in my fridge, though. But, you know, having said that, yeah, mine too. <laughs> having said that, um, again, you know, we're seeing a rise in use of food banks mm. in this country food deserts as I mentioned in the last episode so it can be easy to say things like oh in the west we haven't had to deal with food insecurity and of course that is actually not true at all because vulnerable people are still dealing with that but I suppose what I'm saying is that in the past I, there was there was no group of people really who never had to face up to food insecurity whatsoever apart from maybe you know the absolute top of the heap royalty you know and even they might still be hit by by a drought or a famine so i suppose that's what i'm trying to say is that it was it was something that pretty much everybody had to contend with at some point whereas now you know there are those of us who are kind of insulated from that anxiety more but yeah but speaking about religion you know it's true you've got fasting but you've also got things like in catholicism 
the the wine and the bread or the the body and blood of Christ for example transubstantiation is really interesting so that's literally food as being this incredibly sacred item and then on the other hand you have the forbidden fruit uh, often thought of as being an apple which is supposed to be uh, what heralded the fall of mankind. So there is quite an interesting, ambivalent relationship with food, I suppose, mm. both as being something that maybe is sinful and leads to sin, and the devil tempts <laughs> Jesus in the wilderness with bread, right? And Jesus says, man cannot live on bread alone. Um, and then on the other hand, why are you laughing? <laughs> Just, it sounds so dramatic about bread. <laughs> <laughs> The devil hey, came with bread. bread. Is serious business. <laughs> this is what many okay, people sorry. believe. The devil came with bread it's in just, the wilderness. Of all the things uh, to come to with, I Jesus. don't imagine the devil coming with bread. I mean, I mean, I like bread. Bread Bread's a big deal. Bread is a what big deal. What kind of bread deal. was it though? Like, if it was kind of like focaccia, uh, maybe or sourdough, a really good sourdough I'm that gonna... I hadn't made. I'm going to say that it was probably a flat bread. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of the bread at that point was unleavened. Uh, I don't think that would the, have tempted uh, me. In the Middle East. Uh, I like a flat bread. <laughs> I like a flat bread. Anyway. Um, but then at the same time, you know, so it's this thing of temptation, both, you know, in as Jesus is wandering the desert and with Eve. But then at the same time, it's in, this incredibly sacred object in Catholicism. Mm of being, you know, the flesh yeah. of God, right? So, it's a, yeah, it's a really interesting kind of ambivalence there. But uh, we were talking to go from the sublime <laughs> to the equally sublime, but slightly more uh, contemporary. Mm. Uh, we were talking about The Matrix, yes. right? Uh, because, um, speaking of uh, meal replacements, in The Matrix, they basically eat this kind of gloopy... It's like a kind of gruel, I think, yeah, basically. they said it was like runny eggs, which sounds awful. Yeah. And then they talk about tasty wheat, uh, yeah. how maybe it's like tasty wheat, but uh, they don't actually know because they don't know whether tasty wheat that, really tastes that was like really tasty wheat. There was one bit that really stood out to me, though, kind of off the back of what you were just saying about the forbidden fruit, is that in, in mm. that scene where they're eating this disgusting-looking runny egg-type um, nutritionally mm. complete meal, is that... Mouse says something along the lines of to deny our own impulses is to deny the very thing that makes us human and he's talking about something else mm. but to discuss it in that scene where they're eating a very <laughs> um, for the body not for the soul type food is just an yeah. interesting juxtaposition I suppose I thought yeah definitely I suppose at the core of the matrix is do you give up a world which is fake but which gives you everything that you mm. need you know that is tempting in so many mm. ways for reality when reality basically involves sacrifice and hardship and mm. you know having to eat this weird gruel stuff and wearing these really scratchy looking gray clothes all the time you know mm. uh, and i think that brings us to cypher yeah. right um so food in the matrix is really interesting you have this gruelly tasty wheat stuff there are a couple of references to food other than with cypher uh and the gruel uh one of which is when neo goes back into the matrix he's driving past this noodle place and he says oh i used to go there all the time really good noodles uh, but you don't ever see him actually eating the noodles mm. um and the other thing is when the oracle gives him a cookie um, and it seems to be a significant cookie, but you never really see him eating it. You just see him kind of holding it. Um, so, so there is food, and we do see Neo interacting with food, but we never see him really savoring it or really like seeming to a, a be really into like it. The, I, I automatically think of cookies as being comfort food and parental. Mm. So the Oracle giving it, yeah, infantilizing. Yeah. I think yeah. in a way for That's sure. I missed that bit. Yeah, definitely. And I think that there is a kind of that, yeah, that kind of dynamic between mm -hmm. the Oracle and Neo definitely feels kind of interestingly parental. Yeah. But the, the person that we do see really, really savouring food and its steak uh, is Cypher. And this is when he, spoilers, by the way, for a movie that came out <laughs> 22 years ago, guys. 
if you haven't seen the matrix by now like seriously like i i know that we're all like we've all got stuff to do but i mean come on (laughs) yeah um i mean if you're listening to this podcast like you've had time you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) no no no, i'm just no i'm just saying i'm just saying uh all right um but yeah so cypher is really enjoying this steak and he's talking about how even though he knows that it isn't real Mm. and that it's actually and i mean that this is maybe something that we'll come back to later actually uh, later on in the series but in the matrix basically what people are being fed in reality mm. is uh the kind of um recycled bodies of other I, people i haven't picked that up on the first time i watched it but with thinking about this... yeah i had definitely yeah. forgotten uh when i went back to look at it again i was like oh i had forgotten yeah. that detail how interesting uh yeah i mean super disturbing actually um so even though we know that that's what's going into his body Mm. he's saying he doesn't care you know he knows it's fake he knows it's other people basically but it's so delicious that he doesn't care he wants to get back into that fake world because that's the thing that gives him steak and you know he doesn't want to make this sacrifice yeah created in our own minds over over the truth isn't he yes absolutely and i think that's really interesting because there again you are having food associated with temptation Mm. and sin and betrayal as you have often in the biblical context Mm. but i think that it's clear that the rest of the crew are making a really big sacrifice by sitting there eating this gruel, you know? They're not enjoying it. They're not having a good time. This is not where they want to be, but they're making that sacrifice because they really believe in the cause. Mm. Um, So it's it's not... Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting and complicated and ambivalent in a way that I do think kind of harks back to that that kind of biblical stuff Mm. that we were talking about. But hey... Uh, we've got a yes, quiz to do. Yes, all this chat. Yeesh. Let's get into it. <laughs> um, all right, we're going to do your questions yeah. first, science, then <clears throat> fiction. Yep, let's do it. Okay, um, so my first question, um, given you're f- fairly familiar with Huel, how many essential nutrients, do, or how, how many nutrients does Soylent consider to be essential? 35, 37, or 39? Okay... Um, 35 seems like too much of a round number, so I'm not going to go with that. Um, I am going to go with 37, total guess. No, 39. Uh, um, so both Huel and Soylent are probably, Huel. I'd say, the biggest players in the kind of meal replacement market that aren't to do with... They're the ones, yeah, they're yeah, the ones I'm the, familiar with. Not weight loss ones, so that's kind of separate, although still meal replacements. Um, so they, they seem to be the biggest players, and they both say fairly similar things about what constitutes as nutritionally complete. So both include protein, which I believe is soy for soylent, pea protein for huel, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And then Sounds right. a load of essential nutrients, good for fats and slow-release carbs. In terms of the essential nutrients, it's your, your classic things, vitamins and minerals, zinc, calcium, and so on. So I didn't go into a bit of detail there. And what I found was quite interesting, though, is that there's not much systematic evaluation and kind of there's not many, from what I can see, randomised control trials and that sort of in-depth study on the effectiveness of these sorts of meal replacements. And I I guess a lot of the Mm. literature does still point to weight loss. So I don't know whether it's just I've been overwhelmed by the amount that's to do with weight loss and just not found it. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, I used to hang out on the Huel subreddit, and I know that they do have this in-house nutritionist who put out statements that seemed convincing to a layperson, i.e., me. Uh, but I know people have raised concerns about things like, obviously, we have a secondary digestive system which is chewing, and if you do Huel or Soylent, you are you're cutting that out. You're not doing your chewing which I think possibly means that the stomach is not being prepared because chewing, uh, it activates... Okay, I'm kind of making this up, but just from memory. It like activates the saliva glands and then the stomach picks up on the fact that you're chewing and it starts producing stomach acid to break down the nutrients. And if you don't signal to your stomach that you're about to take in nutrients, 
via chewing, it may not produce the stomach acid needed to break down those nutrients and digest them properly. I don't know how much truth there is in that, but I believe that was something that was kind of raised as a potential issue with Mm. it. Um, But I think, you know, the Huel people tend to say, look, we're not necessarily saying that you should replace every meal with Huel. You know, like one, maybe two a day. You probably can Mm. live off it, but we're not saying you should. That's generally their line. From what I've gathered, they they seem pretty on it, and there's a lot of detail on their websites, and they they seem to know what they're talking about. Um, Yeah, and just to say, there's no conflict of interest here. We are absolutely not (laughs) sponsored by Huel or anything like that, but like uh, as far as these things go, they seem like a good one as far as I can Mm. make out, and they seem to be, they seem to have a certain level of like environmental awareness Mm. and blah, 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 so, uh, you know. Yeah, I think think we mentioned it just a bit before we started recording, just that the fact that, especially Soylent, I felt more than Huel, but probably both um, seem very focused on the environmental aspect of using meal replacements as well because obviously you've got the less food waste and all that kind of thing um which mm. is a benefit and and they're generally vegan so you've not got meat and dairy negativity for sure yeah and cost effective as well Are i think they, they often I, I talk about the cost effectiveness well i think they've done breakdowns of like it costs you x amount per meal and it's like pretty reasonable I guess I mean not necessarily for me because I'm such a cheapskate <laughs> and I really pinch those pennies but like for most people it's pretty cost effective yeah. I think I think in terms of studies on more long-term usage of it one that I found that's quite interesting was one to do with preparation for space travel um, and I think mm. the participants were in I'm trying to remember off the top of my head but it was, it was something like, like NASA's like a pod that looks very small that the participants or I assume trainee astronauts lived in for three weeks in what looked like mm. the size of a bedroom essentially it looked tiny <laughs> and they mm-hmm. had meal replacement bars um, for one meal a day over the course of three weeks in terms of nutrition they were fine um, physical abilities that was fine but there was issues with kind of behavioral health and mental health essentially was more the problem rather than any physical or operational performance Ah, and that was with bars Um, that was with bars yeah so so it wasn't you know that it was still you're still chewing Mm. you're still getting that kind of textural sense of eating food so that's interesting the impression that i've got from a variety of sources i've read is that the repetition is one of the problematic aspects that makes sense to me for sure i guess the question that you do have to ask yourself though is these people who are tending to rely on fuel so this is let's say me five years ago or whenever i was doing this job these silicon valley people is the alternative to Huel having a really good meal with friends and family or is the alternative to Huel going to be like picking up some crappy like sandwich or some junk food or skipping a Mm. meal so if I hadn't had the the Huel I'm just going to be like trying desperately to shovel like a sandwich and a cereal bar into my mouth in the short break that I'm given Mm. um you know if people weren't using this stuff maybe they'd be skipping meals maybe they'd just be doing like super noodles (laughs) or whatever so it's not necessarily fair to compare this to the optimal thing that you could be eating and the optimal environment that you could be eating it in because actually in reality most of the time if you're using this the alternative might be something that's not well, as good. I'm trying to get the impression that they are positioning themselves as potentially like we were just saying the environmental choice or the efficient choice so although not for every meal every day but still as potentially a choice between a good meal and meal replacement i i i got that the companies such as huel and soylent are promoting that rather than it being... well maybe but i think in reality like the people who are tending to use it are probably using it maybe because they're not getting a proper break or not getting an opportunity to have a proper meal or they, they might be skipping that meal 
I only have anecdotal mm. evidence to back that up, but that would be my feeling. Um, yeah, okay. But come on, question two, hit me, okay, hit so me. We were talking a bit about how food is one of the central pleasures in life, and in the Matrix, Indeed. they were talking about all the electrical signals in the brain and how that's essentially why we enjoy the food. Um, which neurotransmitter is commonly associated with pleasure? Is it dopamine, oxytocin, or, if I get this right, epinephrine? <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay, well... My understanding is that both dopamine and oxytocin are associated with different types of pleasure. So dopamine, like you get a dopamine hit, for example, like when you get a notification on Twitter (laughs) or something. Uh, Whereas oxytocin, if you were the kind of person who enjoyed hugs, you would get an oxytocin boost from getting a hug. I wouldn't get one because I don't like hugs, (laughs) but I would um, get one one, for example. (laughs) Yeah, I would. Um, I would get an oxytocin boost probably from picking up my little ferret <laughs> and giving her a little kiss on the top okay, of you're the just head hugging or something the ferret. like that. It's just you're, you're picky about who you. That's hug. right. <laughs> That's exactly That's not it. A bad thing. So I, so I don't know, but I'm going to go dopamine. Yes, you're right. Um, so dopamine is the one that's historically considered the brain's pleasure chemical. Um, the last one, which mm-hmm. I still, I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, epinephrine. I think it's epinephrine, 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 but I could be wrong. Which is better known as adrenaline. Um, Yeah, and that goes in an EpiPen for if you have an allergic reaction, right? That makes sense. I I think this is what I kind of came came across, though, when researching this, because I was thinking, okay, so the sensual aspect of food, what, what is the reason for that? Is it just neurotransmitters? Is there more to it than that? Um, mm. And I came across research by a guy called Kent Berridge, um, who seems to be incredibly active in pleasure research. Um, and he seems to report mm. <laughs> that <laughs> dopamine, dopamine isn't or may not actually be responsible for that sensation of pleasure that we get when eating or other pleasurable activities. And mm-hmm. But like some bunch of neurons at the bottom of the cortex, kind of around the brainstem, might actually be what causes pleasure and dopamine is just more about wanting and craving so i think they did studies in in rats mm. unfortunately um where they found that dopamine yeah was more about the wanting but didn't actually make it make the thing more pleasurable for example so if they were drinking sugar <laughs> water they would maybe want it more but not necessarily enjoy it more the dopamine seemed to yeah it was the motivation not the pleasure which I thought was interesting. Yeah. You always want what yeah. you can't have, and then when you got it, you know. Which made want me it. think: Does Makes that sense. is that related to if you have higher dopamine levels? Would is that related to wanting more but never feeling satisfied? And then I came across something that it might be a factor mm. in addiction, um, which was interesting. Mm. That makes sense. Chasing the dragon. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay, all right, right. Come on. <laughs> we've got we've got like eight more questions oh, okay. to get all through. Right, right, come okay. on, um, let's do it. So some studies have shown that traditional diets, um, such as the Mediterranean diet, traditional Japanese diets, that kind of thing, um, have a lower risk of depression um, than kind mm-hmm. of your Western diets, which have more likely to have higher sugar levels and all that kind of thing, i.e. not nutritionally complete which is where i was going with this the risk of depression is how much lower with traditional diets 10 percent, 15 percent, or 25 percent. interesting oh wow um well i would imagine that food is pretty big but 25 seems high uh then again i don't know um see i feel like i always go for the middle one and maybe i should just take a leap and push the envelope i'm gonna guess 25 yes 25 to 35 hey. percent lower in a traditional diet wow um, which mm. yeah i found is interesting so when we're talking about the sensual pleasures of food the fact is that we may be enjoying foods especially in our western diets but actually they might not be making us happy in the long term which i thought was interesting yeah. that okay we might feel a bit unhappy if we've got repetitive foods or something like that such as with the space experiment but perhaps if we're having something that's more nutritionally complete in the longer term such as Huel, then maybe it would actually help the mood 
I don't know. That was a little bit speculative. Maybe. But... I would be interested to know what the controls were mm, on that yeah. study, just because I would imagine that adherence to traditional diets would also correlate with certain other cultural mm, things, like maybe spending more time with family. So the way that you approach food is not necessarily just about the food you're eating, but it's also like, are you eating at a table with people that you love or are you eating standing up, you know, in your 10 minute break at work Mm. or whatever? Um, You know, so and also I suppose those, particularly with a Mediterranean diet, that also correlates with super nice weather. (laughs) That's true. So I just, I I think it, you know, what they were talking about, it it was Harvard Medical School that were talking about it, and I think it was, it was to do with diets in high and refined sugar. So I, I I didn't read the Mm -hmm. details. So to be fair, weather and culture could could impact, but the impression I got it was to do with yeah. The sugar aspect and that leading to mood disorders, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. But yeah, I just be. I think it's so so hard to control with these kind of longitudinal longitudinal dietary studies because there are so many like cultural and geographical aspects at play that it's so so difficult to actually do a mm. control. That's my understanding from listening to a Malcolm Gladwell <laughs> podcast one oh, time. Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> so. um, okay, next question. Um, so. The majority of meal replacements do seem to be focused on weight loss, and although there weren't many randomised control trials, there is a lot of research that supports their effectiveness in terms of obesity management. Um, Mm. When following a low-calorie diet, research has shown that meal replacements and nothing else, so including like the structure of the meal plan, so just the fact that there's a meal replacement, um, can increase weight loss by how much? 23%, 27%, or 31%? Okay. Um... I feel like I'm falling back on my old habits, but I really want to say the middle number. <laughs> um, all right. That's what my gut's telling me. I'm going to say 27. No, it's 31%. Oh. Um, so this was, I think, in comparison to just a low-calorie diet where meal replacements weren't used. Um, and mm. the suggestion is that having using meal replacements has improved compliance and you have increased nutritional knowledge because you're more aware of kind of such as we've just said on Huel and Soylent that they've got all these micronutrients and macronutrients you become more aware of what you're eating and also more regular meals Mm. and snack less and they also found that when you have structured meal plans alongside the meal replacements that that figure increases to 61% which I thought was quite interesting definitely interesting sometimes weight loss isn't what you're wanting such as if you're in space or if you're you um, but <laughs> it does seem that meal replacements are linked to weight loss even if you don't want it which um came on interesting to something a little bit obscure that i didn't realize prisons in the u.s famously use um or infamously use bland meals as punishment mm. what is that bland meal yeah. known as is it neutral loaf bland bread or prison porridge um Okay, so this is interesting. So obviously in the UK, there's a whole thing about porridge. But if it's in the US, I would imagine they don't really say porridge. They usually say oatmeal. So I think that's more of a UK thing. So I'm uh, leaning away from that. But uh, all right, I'm going to go with Nutriloaf because it sounds super sci-fi. <laughs> um, yes, it is Nutriloaf. So Nutriloaf or... Uh... Apparently, just the loaf gets fed day after day to inmates who throw food or some cases get violent. <sighs> and it seems that prisoners sometimes end up stopping eating um, because it's very difficult to consume enough calories when you're on a really boring diet. And <sighs> when it's used as punishment, it it seems to be quite effective and prisoners do behave to avoid it, um, which kind of go, goes yeah. to show that even in extreme circumstances like that, <laughs> the central aspect of food still is... Um, needed maybe in more ways than Indeed. we think when we're just trying to look at the very scientific nutritional needs of the body um, and another thing that's needed is prison reform <laughs> yeah or indeed not the prison topic. abolition <laughs> it's not the topic but maybe it should be uh, everybody read Angela Davis and uh it's uh it's 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 not a good system mm. all right <laughs> great it, was that your last so. question i kind of lost track but i think that was all my question 
Alright, so hang on. Did I get three out of five? Oh, was I meant to be counting? I oh, <laughs> think okay. so. Uh... Right, hang on. Hang on. I got the Nutriloaf yeah. one. I got the 25% oh, yeah. one. Uh, and I got... Oh, I got another one. Uh, um... Didn't get depression one. Uh, I got dopamine one. Oh, I yeah. got the dopamine one. Yeah, so I got three out of five. Alright. I can't remember what we ended up having last week, but at I the end of I the lost. series, when we've done all the editing... <laughs> Oh. Um, when we've done all the editing, uh, we will uh, top them all up and see who uh, yeah. who won overall at the at the end of our food yeah. series. Okay. All right. Moving on to my question. That you were then. going to make easier, right? Uh, did yeah. I say that? <laughs> um, well, I haven't made them deliberately hard, but so we'll see what okay. happens. All right. So number one. In this Robin Sloan novel, the scientist Jane Amitra is attempting to make the perfect food substitute called Lembus bread after the elven substance in Lord of the Rings. Is the novel called, so this is the name of the Robin Sloan novel, A. Flatbread, B. Sourdough, C. Hardtack, or D. Pumpernickel? I hope it's Pumpernickel. I'm going to go for Pumpernickel. It's a good word. I like the word. I love that word too, and I got into that bread when I was living in Germany in a way that I hadn't ever before. However, I'm sorry to tell you, it is sourdough. And when we were talking about sourdough earlier, it was really hard for me not to spoil this question. Um, but yeah, I actually read this uh, novel last year during the uh, sourdough times. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it, there's a lot of stuff about food justice, about sustainable food. I mean, it is a novel, uh, kind of a sci-fi novel, actually, or sci-fi fantasy, magical realism mm. kind of thing. Some really interesting stuff uh, about kind of attitudes towards food. And I'm just going to read out a brief quotation from that novel. I have come to believe that food is history of the deepest kind. Everything we eat tells a tale of ingenuity and creation, domination and injustice, and does so more vividly than any other artifact, any other medium. So I thought mm. that was a really interesting little uh, snippet from that about that food. with history. I, I, I read something about mm. storytelling through food and the kind of creative aspects as yeah. well. Which, uh, yeah, when, when I read it, I was like, oh yeah, of course, but yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's an interesting read, I think. I actually, I listened to the audiobook of a, another Robin Sloan uh, story at around the same time. And I, I find, like, with Robin Sloan, it feels like he does a lot of really interesting stuff. And then he, his endings are a little bit unsatisfying, was my feeling. I don't feeling. want to categorise, but I do find that when I'm watching French films. I love watching French films, but I feel they just <laughs> stop. It's like you, you see a snippet into... The life of someone and then it just stops i'm like well what what about my ending yeah. <laughs> well that's interesting i mean i guess it depends on like what kind of era and, and style of french yeah. film but yeah categorizing I mean, a um, lot there, but <laughs> but yeah i mean a lot of art film directors uh kind of tend away from that very sort of generic hollywood uh, storytelling style it, where... <laughs> yeah absolutely but uh, it's interesting to see things that challenge that mm. also. All right, question two. Come on. A, 1970s advert for this product, fe for this product uh, features an astronaut pulling a lever for food pills. But the final lever reveals this product because there'll never be a substitute for blank. So is this product A, ambrosia creamed rice pudding, B, Cadbury's Smash, C, Angel Delight, or D, Bird's Custard. So an astronaut pulling a lever for food pills, a lever, sorry. <laughs> I was so careful to do that the first time. A lever for food pills. Uh, he gets two food pills, but then when he gets to the final lever, he pulls the lever and it opens to reveal this product because there's no substitute for this product. What is it? Is it rice pudding? Is it smash? Is it angel delight? Or is it bird's it's custard? Funny because in terms of substituting any of those products, I feel like they could probably pretty much all be put into a pill form anyway. Um, <laughs> I've never heard of Cadbury's smash. Oh, wait. Wait, did you say Cadbury's smash? Is mm -hmm. that like the, the mashed potato? Mm -hmm. Cadbury's did that. For mash, get oh. smash. Apparently right. so. I didn't realise that. Oh. If I was the astronaut, I think I'd hope it was rice pudding. 
but that's probably <laughs> not a good reason because the advertising company probably aren't thinking what an astronaut would want um, <laughs> I'm going to go for the custard okay well actually it is Cadbury's oh, really? and I didn't know it was Cadbury's either until I uh, found that's out about this bizarre. ad what are Cadbury's doing Smash for it is interesting, isn't it? And I think the other thing that's really interesting is that Smash is already a substitute, yeah. right? So there's no... There'll never be a substitute for this thing that's already a substitute for <laughs> I, real I potatoes. Know, I was thinking, like, all those things... All, well, I guess they're not all substitutes, but they are all, like, liquid foods. It's not... <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's kind of... That's what that's why I tried to... I tried to find right. alternatives that <laughs> I felt sort of went into the same, like, brain yeah. bin. All right. I'm going to read you another extract from one of these real science fiction novels of the 2010s. So they're all real science fiction novels that came out in the 2010s, uh, all in the second half of the 2010s, I think. And the extract that I'm going to read is from one of these novels. I'm going to give you the names of the novels now, and then I'll repeat them at the end of the extract. So it's A, The Future of Another Timeline by Annalee Newitz. B... This is How You Lose the Time War by Amal Elmatar and Max Gladstone. Uh, C, All Are Wrong Todays by Alain Mastai. Or D, New York 2140 by Kim Stanley Robinson. So they're all real. Okay. This is an extract from one of them. For breakfast, a similar system outputs whatever meal you feel like from a nutrient gel mixed with colour, flavour and texture protocols. And if that sounds gross to you, in practice it's indistinguishable from what you think of as real food, except that it's uniquely gauged to your tongue's sensory receptors, so it tastes and feels ideal every time. You know that sinking feeling you get when you cut into an avocado, only to find that it's either hard and underripe or brown and bruised under its skin? Well, I didn't know that could even happen until I came here. Every avocado I ever ate was perfect. Just, Just quickly though. I know avocado is one of the least environmentally friendly foods you can eat. But Indeed, it's very I do water, love avocado. Um, thirsty, and I've been getting frozen mm. avocado because it lasts longer. But Ooh, good one. where I do my shopping hasn't had it for about a month now and it's making me very cross because I have avocado on top. I used to get I used to get frozen avocados, but I always found they were stringy. Oh, really? Well I, I I cook it and mash it up. And with chili and uh, okay. lime, and it's amazing on the sourdough wow. that I don't make because it's too difficult. <laughs> oh, you're such a hipster! <laughs> I thought I was the ultimate hipster. That is oh, so yeah, hipster. I don't want everyone to know. <laughs> no, 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 no! It's great. It's great. So that is from either the future of another timeline by Annalee Newitz. This is how you lose the time war by Amal El Mokhtar. I hope I'm saying that right. Sorry, Amal and Max Gladstone. All Are Wrong Todays by Alain Mastai, or New York 2140 by Kim Stanley Robinson. I don't know because I haven't read any of them, but I'm going to go for This Is How You Lose the Time War because I'm picturing it to be more likely to be (laughs) someone coming from a different time or something. Well, you're absolutely right that that is the plot. That's that's a start. (laughs) But... Uh, the actual uh, book is All Our Wrong Todays by Alain Mastai, which I am about a third of the way through at this point. I'm currently reading it. I haven't read any of the others, although I have been wanting to read The Future of Another Timeline and This Is How You Lose the Time War. Uh, they both sound super interesting. Yeah, All Our Wrong Todays is about a guy who, due to a time travel incident, ends up in our reality having come from an alternate utopian reality. Mm. So he comes from the same time, but a different timeline. Yeah, and in his timeline, it's utopian, and they have this, uh, yeah, they get the nutrient gel, and it comes out as the food they want, blah, blah, blah. So I thought that was super interesting in terms of what we were talking about as, like, food pills and meal replacements as being in opposition to the sensual enjoyment, the Epicurean enjoyment of food, whereas this reverses that. And actually, come to think of it, so does that scene in The Matrix, right? Where the Epicurean and sensual enjoyment of food Mm. is about a synthetic food substitute rather than the actual 
food, which is this gloopy stuff that we would associate with being yeah, fake, I guess. That is interesting. And the other question that I ruined for you, the uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, <laughs> that was similar as well, isn't it? The gum that is all your favourite meals. The gum, yeah. The three-course meal gum, um, yeah. But again, it's meant to be the perfect meal, isn't it, within the gum, taste-wise? I believe, I believe that's the case, yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess it's kind of interesting that instead of being a pill, it's gum. So it does give you that chewing mm, and that true. like mm. lengthy sensation rather than being just something that you swallow yeah. and that's it. Um, which I guess bears more relation to the actual experience of eating food, even if it still is not yeah. quite yeah. the thing. Oh, that's interesting. All right, question number four. So hang on. Oh, you're on zero right now. <laughs> Come on, you can do it. Um, okay, so for spring 2021, I just realised as well recording that this, my multiple choice has been three and yours has been four. So you've had more chance of getting it right than I do. Well, I didn't make you make it. Three. <laughs> I'm going to do ten choices next time. <laughs> I almost did 10 choices for this question and then I thought that was super unfair um, just because of the um, because well you'll figure it out once I say the question so for spring 2021 which is when we're recording this although not when it's going to come out uh, and PlayStation Merry Christmas. is giving <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas 2022 <laughs> uh PlayStation is giving away a number of games free as part of its Play at Home initiative. <laughs> as opposed to what? In one of these games... <laughs> Where else do you play PlayStations? Oh, I'm t- so out of touch here that I'm going to shut up. <laughs> Maybe there's a thing. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, I guess a video game cafe or a youth outreach centre. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Um... Where the youth pastor comes and sits on his chair backwards and he says, Hey kids, I know you like PlayStation, but how do you like praying at the uh, Where are you going with this? Tr- <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. I started talking before I thought of something. Well, um, I was thinking of youth anyway. pastor and it being, would it be fusily or... Oh. <laughs> I just had a picture of pastor in it. <laughs> okay. Oh, right. that's great. Carry on with your question. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. It's all good. All right, so they're giving away a number of games free as part of their Play at Home initiative. In one of these games, and all of the games that I'm going to say are real games that are part of this initiative, players can scavenge nutrient yeah. blocks which provide the most nutrition of any food item in the game. So which of these games is it? And this isn't a clue because you don't know and I haven't told you, but I s- stayed up all last night playing this mm. game. Just so you know. Um, Okay, so is it A, The Witness? Is it B, Res Infinite? Is it C, Astrobot Rescue Mission? Or is it D, Subnautical? Hey, it's Panicky again. Listen, I know that I get the name of the video game wrong repeatedly, that I claim to have been playing all night. It's Subnautica, not Subnautical. But I wasn't lying, okay? Once you get into gameplay, the name of the video game isn't, like, prominently featured in the game. I really was playing it. I just forgot. I just added an L. And, you know, uh, in my defence, clearly, I was tired. So, Yeah. Well, I haven't heard of any of those games. Um, can I phone a friend? <laughs> Am I the friend? <laughs> well, I was actually going to ask Torrance. So I thought you would be cheating, but... Uh. <laughs> um, but I guess if it's not Fortnite, he probably wouldn't know either. I'm going to go for the last one. Subnautical? Woo! Yeah, he did it! Hooray! Mm, we'll see how you do on this last one. <laughs> Okay. Uh, yes, I spent all last night playing it, and to be fair, the clocks did go forward, mm-hmm. so um, it it wasn't anyway. Um, so it pretty much evens uh, out. still, yeah, it totally evens <laughs> out. Anyway, uh, yeah, you have to like, so you get these nutrient blocks. You have to keep your hunger at a certain level or like above a certain okay. level. Um, and the nutrient blocks are the most nutritious, but you can also like catch fish and eat the fish. And interestingly, there is a little thing that pops up and it says, because it's set mm. in the future, 
Uh, people who are used to eating synthesized meals may be put off by the idea of eating flesh. Yeah. I'm completely paraphrasing. There's a little thing that comes up the, where, and it's kind of like which that. Is set around a lab, lab meat, lab grown meat, <laughs> whatever we're talking about, culture meat. No, no, that's um, that's Project uh, Eden yeah. that we were talking about last week. No, I haven't played that. That's from a long time ago. This is much okay. more recent. You're you're like an astronaut, and you crash land on this water planet so then you have to survive mostly underwater by like catching fish you have to come up for oxygen and you have to use the fish like there's a bladder fish that you can catch and it filters the water for mm. you and then there's like other fish you can catch that you can eat and you have to explore and stuff it's 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 a good a game I, i'm enjoying do you, it well, vegan do you do you think you were well i eat eggs uh, what, what, over vegan. but yeah like over you, vegetarian what do you think you would do if you were like on a desert island and you had to suddenly fish do you think do you think you'd manage i don't know what i would do ah that's a really tough one yes i mean i think that in principle yes i would do it whether i could practically (laughs) figure out how to catch fish is another question and like uh, how quickly i would get used to eating fish but also like if you were just eating fish i don't know how long you could live off that because it's not like giving you everything so there would have to be i think some kind of plant-based source of food as well if you were there long term and like okay what are the fish living on you know is there some kind of like kelp Mm. or seaweed or something that you could also be eating that's good inside the box thinking Um. (laughs) inside the the box everyone everyone does inside the box thinking now yeah oh do they that's new (laughs) to me all right fun um okay so number five Now, this might be super obvious, or you might have no idea. I don't know how obscure this piece of information is whatsoever. Like, it's something that I know, Mm -hmm. and, like, already knew, and blah, blah, blah. But I don't know if it's, like, more widely known. So, which American animated science fiction show famously featured food pills as a future technology? Is it A, The Jetsons? Is it B, Star Trek The Animated Series? Is it C, Futurama, or is it D, Rick and Morty? I don't know. I used to watch quite a lot of Futurama, but I don't specifically remember food pills, but I can imagine it fitting in quite seamlessly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rick and Morty seemed a lot more obscure and scary to me. I think you made me (laughs) <laughs> oh, did I? <laughs> you didn't enjoy it? I feel okay. Like maybe it was somebody cut in half or something like that. I feel like there was yeah, a bit more that sounds gore right. But yeah, that that's I feel like fair. maybe it's too gory to have food pills. That seems too logical. Okay. Although, why did you say okay? Maybe that means it is. <laughs> oh no no I'm, I'm uh, just, uh, <laughs> don't read too much into. Uh, I'm gonna go for future armor. Okay. Well. It's actually the Jetsons. Now, yeah, what I will say is Futurama and Rick and Morty have both had episodes where there have been food pills at some point during their run. Okay, (laughs) I will give you half a point. Uh, So they they do both have episodes where they mention food pills at some point during their run, but the Jetsons has it as like a major element of the world. I suppose it's more futurist. Well, I'm... Yeah, I, I don't know, but I'm assuming it's a bit more futuristic in the Jetsons because it was produced longer ago than the other options. Yeah, it's kind of like retro futurism, yeah, yeah. for sure. I think Star Trek the Animated Series isn't that long after the mm. Jetsons. Um, I think the Jetsons is 60s originally. Star Trek the Animated Series maybe was a bit... I don't know exactly when that came out, but I don't think it was that long after the original series. So maybe it was like the 70s. Uh, But yeah, Mm. sure. Futurama and Rick and Morty are both much more recent. I'm assuming that Star Trek, the animated series, does not have food pills because it would have the same like replicator technology as in the live action Mm. show. But I haven't actually seen it, so I couldn't tell you for sure. Uh, But that would be my assumption. Um, So yeah, so it is the Jetsons, which I've actually also never seen, but I know that it's famous as one of these kind of retro futurism touchstones. I'm aware of it, but I haven't haven't watched it. Ah, so I lose again. So you got one and a half points. Um, And I got... Did I get three? three? Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to make it even harder next week. (laughs) I'm not going to give any more choice. Uh, <laughs> oh no! And it's come going on. To, you're going to have to spell everything as well. <laughs> okay. 
All right, all right. I'm up for a challenge. Okay, great. Well, do you have any final thoughts uh, before we uh, segue seamlessly into our outro to wrap things up? I don't think I have anything to add, or at least not anything um, concise to add. Um, I I found it (laughs) quite interesting in terms of the deeper I dug into this, the more paths that came up certainly in terms of the central aspect of eating food and all the kind of pleasure mm. principles in, in that i thought that was quite interesting I, you could get a whole lot deeper and then yes and when it's kind of used as punishment in prisons it, yeah it, it was a lot wider reaching than i initially expected the yeah. intricacies of meal replacements um, so, yeah, it's been interesting and i think what i've taken away from this is prison reform now <laughs> give people proper breaks at work <laughs> And um, uh, we think he was okay, maybe, but we're not sponsored yeah. by them, so pinch of salt. Yeah, they seem like good guys and girls. They seem okay. Good people. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly, and they're none yeah. of the above. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> both, neither, whatever. So, great. I think that about wraps it up on us for food pills, meal replacements, and the Jetsons. <laughs> and the Matrix. So... We did talk about The Matrix a lot, and uh, I'm all for that, and I'm happy to come back to it later if it it feels relevant. Now now we've noticed that other other detail. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Well, hey, that's a little teaser for a possible future episode, so stay tuned, folks, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Bye. (laughs) All right. We can cut that bit out because we'll have a, a fancy outro, right? Can I click stop? I click stop, don't I? I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. (sighs) Okay, let's do the outro now. Okay, so this is the outro. Thanks so much for listening. And um, hey, Ashley, just in case people have forgotten, what... What are those? What are those email addresses and links that they can go to? Oh yeah, so if if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so at themoscale at gmail.com Or did you spot the context clues for when we recorded the episode? <laughs> oh yeah, email us. <laughs> or and you can win a prize. Can you remember what that amazing prize was? Is is. Oh. <laughs> if you can't, maybe go you back. Need to go, go back to a doctor. <laughs> Or go back. Rewind. Go back or go to a doctor. I don't know what your health insurance situation is, so I really don't want to be like irresponsibly. Um, anyway, uh, and and what are those socials actually? Oh yeah, at the most girl on Twitter and Instagram, pretty much everywhere these days. <laughs> have you have you been on TikTok? Ugh, no. Well, I've watched some videos, but I, I haven't. Oh God, actually, I think I did sign up for an account, but I. I didn't really use it. It's scary. It's scary what the youth is getting up to. And they're all... Do you know what they're on there saying, Ashley? No. They're on there saying that, like, Helen Keller was a fake and that you should all eat Tide Pods. I know the Tide Pods thing was a while ago, but don't act like it didn't happen, kids, because you know it did. And you can't wriggle out of that one. You know you were eating Tide Pods. (laughs) So don't even pretend that you weren't. Hey, hey, let's not alienate the younger listeners. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, our, our young listenership, <laughs> our thriving youth uh, listenership. Um, but listen, kids, seriously though, Helen Keller was a real woman, and just just get a grip, okay? TikTok's great, but you need. Well, to... we don't have it anyway, so you don't need to be on there. Well, you you can be on there. I don't. I'm not trying. You know what? I'm not trying to be an old fogey here. I'm not trying to tell you kids what to do. I'm just saying Helen Keller was a real woman, okay? So. Um... And tune in next time to the Mo Scale. <laughs> <laughs> when we're going to be talking about do we insects. Have a name? Um... Did, did we decide on a name for this episode? Mm, I can't remember. I think I, I, think I was going to say just not cricket. Jiminy Cricket. Jim. Mm, it's, but, but what's, what's the pun? Oh. Cricket? It's not a pun. <laughs> no, it's not a pun just because you say the word cricket. <laughs> you know what? We're gonna we're gonna figure that out. Um, you can drop that in later, time. yeah. <laughs> no, tune in next time and find out what we decided to call our episode about eating insects. On the uh, Mo scale. 
It's a cliffhanger. <laughs> Sci-fi-fo-from. Done. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that'll do us. <laughs>